Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. Glad to have all of you with us for today's edition of Political Rewind. It is Wednesday, March 17th. I'm Bill Baggett. You know, um, we had planned for the past few days to do a show focusing on immigration uh, uh, today, uh, partly because of the crisis at the southern border right now, where uh, there have been more detentions in the month of February uh, than people can remember in quite a long time. 100,000 people detained just in February alone, 4,000 people a day uh, being detained Uh, so far in March, so they're on pace down there to have uh, even more people trying to cross the border illegally. Uh, And of course, one of the big questions is there are many children coming in unaccompanied. The Biden administration is faced with trying to understand what to do about all of that. And we are going to discuss that on the show today. But of course, there's a second immigration thread as well. And that is the... um, the shootings, the shocking shootings at three massage parlors in Metro Atlanta, one in Cherokee County and uh, two in Atlanta, which uh, killed um, Asian Americans who were working at the massage parlors. And the questions are being raised, of course, today as to whether these are anti-Asian hate crimes. President Biden is staying in touch with uh, um, the city of Atlanta, with Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. The FBI has come in to investigate what's happening. And we're going to talk about that and the potential for that to be yet another example of a series of incidents that have involved Asian Americans being targeted either uh, by by, uh, bias of some sort or actual violence as a result of the pandemic which started in uh, China more than a year ago. But finally, there's a third thread, and it's a little harder to just think about right now. It's St. Patrick's Day, a day in which Irish celebrate here in America probably more heartily than they do anywhere else in the world, even perhaps in Ireland itself. Nevertheless, we can't forget that in the late 19th century, the Irish were the targets of pernicious, virulent, hatred and anti-Irish sentiment where uh, everywhere you turned, you would see signs posted on businesses saying no Irish need apply. And so our attitudes about immigration will be a big part of what we do on the show today. We welcome, uh, as we do on virtually every Wednesday, the AJC political reporter, Greg Bluestein. Greg, we're very glad to have you with us today. Thanks for being here. Good morning. A lot to unpack today. Yeah, there's just way too much to talk about. We'll get to as much of it as we can. We're, we're also joined by uh, Mariella Romero. We're glad to have you back, Mariella. You, of course, the Compu- Community Empowerment Director at Univision in Atlanta. I think you also have an interesting group of uh, cities. It's Atlanta. It's the state of North Carolina, I believe, and then Philadelphia. Where the heck does Philadelphia come from? <laughs> I know, I know. Is, is this the, the way... Our own and operated stations are managed, so my GM has those three stations, and also Cleveland in Ohio, believe it or not. Oh, okay. So that's why, <laughs> that's why okay. Philadelphia 
got in my plate. <laughs> uh, in, in addition to the work you do in, uh, in uh, the communities uh, that you serve, uh, you also have been a journalist in, throughout your career. We've, I don't know that we've ever mentioned on the show that you've won 23 regional Emmy Awards for your work. That is correct. Oh, my goodness. That is so embarrassing. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank uh, you. Thank you for acknowledging that. <laughs> it's okay. Um, we're, we're also joined today by the former Attorney General of the state of Georgia, Sam Olins, who's now a partner with Denton's, the world's largest law firm. Sam, how are you this morning? Doing very well, sir. Good to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. And... Uh, last but certainly not least, our friend Chuck Cook, one of the country's most respected uh, immigration attorneys. And um, Chuck, it, in many ways, it was your, it's your presence on the show today that uh, uh, put us in a position where we really want to talk about immigration. So thank you for joining us. It's always a joy to be here with you, Bill. Okay, so let's talk about the shootings as a starting point. And, and we've got to be very careful here, clearly. We have no idea at this point. Law enforcement has no idea at this point what links these shootings. There clearly is some link. It was one suspect who's now been arrested. But whether this was anti-Asian bias or some other issue, we have no way of knowing. <clears throat> Nevertheless, the very fact that there has been so much bias, so much virulent hatred pointed at Asians in this country since uh, the pandemic started since Donald Trump began calling it the Chinese flu. The very fact that it's being uh, investigated as a potential hate crime is worthy of our conversation. Greg, I want to turn to you, but first what I'd like to do is play for you a soundbite from uh, Jay Baker, the sheriff up in Cherokee County, who speaks to the very point I just mentioned. Well, nothing's going to be ruled out. We're conducting a homicide, a multiple homicide investigation. So wherever the evidence leads us, that's where the investigators will go. Greg, uh, the, as I said, the White House has said President Biden's staying on top of this. The FBI is now in South Georgia where the suspect was uh, captured, and they're looking at this to see if it was a crime of hate. Yeah, exactly. And right now the Cherokee sheriff is telling reporters that you know, the suspect, Robert Long, has not given any indications they were racially motivated attacks, but certainly that is something that investigators are looking at. And regardless, you've got a major increase in hate crimes against Asians and Asian Americans between 2019 and, and 2020, which advocates linked to that rise in anti-Chinese rhetoric and, and, we, and the labeling of COVID-19 as, as the I'm China sorry virus. to say, Greg Bluestein, we have just lost your audio. Um, you're back, Greg. So please go ahead and uh, try to continue what you were saying. Oh, I was just I was just saying that there's been a 150 percent increase in the reporting of hate crimes against Asian Americans uh, and Asians between 2019 and 2020, and which is a surge that the advocates linked to the rise in anti-Chinese rhetoric. Um, and you've got the group Stop AAPI Hate, which was formed to prevent anti-Asian discrimination. Um, saying in just in general that the community has been reeling from high levels of racist attacks. So no one's, you can't draw the direct line right now, but certainly this is part of a, uh, certainly there has been a trend of, of anti-Asian crimes um, that are on the rise. Chuck, um, uh, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms just issued this statement just moments ago. I commend law enforcement for their quick work in arresting a suspect in the tragic shootings on yesterday. A motive is still not clear, 
But a crime against any community is a crime against all of us. I've remained in close contact with the White House and the Atlanta police as they work with federal, state, and local partners to investigate the suspect who is responsible for this senseless violence in our city. And she sends out her prayer, she says, to the families and friends of the victims. Chuck? Yeah, this is, um, you know, this is a kind of an example of words have consequences and how we use words in ordinary conversation. Um, you know, this, the rise in hate crimes against Asian Americans didn't just occur by magic. Uh, it, it, it occurred because of rhetoric. And it's the same type of rhetoric that's been used historically against just about every immigrant group, ethnicity and religion that's come to America over time. Um, and, you know, it's, it's tragic that we have to go through this. So this is happening. Hopefully there is other reasons for this, uh, this terrible onslaught that occurred yesterday. Uh, but if it does turn out, in fact, to be directed towards Asian Americans, it should give us pause and help us uh, cause us to think more heavily and clearly about how we as a society and as a community use words in our speech, uh, because words have consequences. Sam Olins, um, as the former attorney general, uh, you can put yourself, I think, and I'm not trying to suggest that you should uh, give Chris Carr advice on how he does his job, but you can understand what an important role the AG is going to have to play in helping understand what happened here, especially if these are crimes of bias. Well, look, I'm just glad that we were successfully able to pass a, a real hate crimes law a year ago and that we had the support of both Republican and Democrats uh, in so doing in, in getting that legislation across the finish line. Look, as, as Chuck said, words matter. I mean, when you had the former president talk about the Chinese flu, it takes little stretch to assume people would then start going after Asian Americans. And anytime you encourage attacks on any minority group, it is vicious, unwarranted, and un-American. Uh, clearly, I'm sure Chris would be working with the uh, Fulton County and Cherokee County uh, district attorneys, um, and clearly, you know, with the FBI already involved, the, the Department of Justice will be engaged along with the GBI. But I mean, candidly, th 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 there's no shock. It was referenced the 150% increase in one year of hate crimes involving Asian Americans. And I think it would be really good if the, the governor specifically made it a point today to uh, tell folks to lower the flame and to support all Georgians. That would be, and I think that's very much in keeping with Governor Kemp's uh, modus operandi. Uh, today's just an opportunity for him to uh, maybe talk to Senator Al and a couple other uh, legislators and, uh, and, and, and turn it into uh, a more positive moment for our state. You know, Mariella, um, the Pew Research did a study, this is now a number of months old, they released it late last summer, or in the middle of last summer. Nevertheless, it's probably still pertinent. Their research shows that four in 10 U.S. adults say it's become more common for them to hear people express racist views towards Asians since the pandemic began. And what I find striking about that, Mariella, um, and I suspect there's some parallels to how people, some people talk about Hispanics, is, is not just the prejudice itself, it's the apparent that, that what underlies these figures is how easily people seem to be willing to express 
uh, bigoted views in conversation uh, day to day. Yes, and unfortunately, Bill, this is something that has been in in, in American history for a long time. This, uh, you know, if we, we remember uh, at the mid 19th century when Chinese immigration started uh, coming in this country to do a lot of labor, uh, we had, a, you know, those labels applied to to Chinese people because they used to equate. Uh, non-cleaning habits with uh, Asians coming to this country. And then, you know, the outbreak of the bubonic plague also was blamed on um, Asians coming to this country. And, you know, the rhetoric uh, also, if we remember uh, during uh, the presidency of Donald Trump, a lot of people thought that the migrant caravans coming to this country uh, we're going to bring an outbreak to this country as well. So it is it is human nature. That is the only thing that I can say that we can, you know, the positive thing that we can start to the conversation to really bring healing and to bring uh, a, a positive outcome is to understand that it's human nature, the fear of the other. And, uh, you know, we cannot solve all those problems through the law. We also have to do some other type of work where we can foster in dealing with one another. And I think that is the real solution to a problem that has been with humanity for, for a long time. Uh, Greg, uh, Sam makes the point that this is an opportunity for the governor. The governor has made, made a comment about this at this point. Or are we still waiting for him? You're, you're, we've lost your audio again, Greg. Are you muted? Okay. Um, l- let me, let me, t- I, I, the reason I turned to Greg on this is I may be mistaken, but I thought that something had come out of the governor's office already on this, but we'll wait. I'll tell you what we're going to do then. Uh, we will come back to that. I, we, we, we want to move on to other immigration topics at this point anyway, because um, we don't know as much as we need to about what was motivating these crimes. We'll certainly talk about them more on the show in the days ahead, and we're looking tomorrow to uh, bring in some additional panelists that may enlighten us about what's happening here. So let's turn to the issue of immigration as it relates to what's happening at the border. Uh, Chuck Cook, um, the Biden administration is really struggling with a very difficult situation right now. As I said, illegal border crossings have uh, increased exponentially in the last uh, month or so. Um, there are children coming in unaccompanied. The, the uh, questions about how the Biden administration is going to process uh, detainees who are now uh, uh, not being sent back to Mexico as they were during the Trump administration is a big question. So in setting up this part of the conversation, let me start by playing a soundbite from President Biden himself. He was interviewed by George Stephanopoulos on ABC News yesterday, and he talked about uh, those who are accusing him of establishing more lenient policies or signaling that he's going to have more uh, lenient policies toward um, undocumented crossings. Um, And here's how he responds to what Stephanopoulos asked him about that. 
The idea that Joe Biden said come, because I, I heard the other day that they're, they're coming because they know I'm a nice guy and I won't do they're what They're saying Trump this. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. They're not. The adults are being sent back, number one. That's number one. No, number two, what do you do with an unaccompanied child that comes to the border? Do you repeat what Trump did? Do you repeat what Trump did? Take them from their mothers, move them away, hold them in cells, et cetera? We're not doing that. So what we're doing is we have brought in, brought in HHS and also brought in FEMA to provide for enough safe facilities for them to not to get out of the control of the border patrol, which are not designed to hold people for a long period of time, particularly children, get them out of those facilities. And most of them come with a phone number to that they have someone in the country. So what we're doing is we're putting together an entire organizational structure so that within seven days, you're able to get in the phone, contact that number, find out whether there is a mother or a father, whether it is safe, whether it is a secure circumstance to get the child to that adult. Um, Chuck, before I turn to you to give some observations about this, I think I guess I made a mistake. I was under the impression that we were not at this point turning uh, um, undocumented uh, people crossing the border back, that we were detaining them for the time being. Apparently, I've got that wrong, but go ahead and make the larger point. Yeah, this actually is uh, one of those issues that you can't soundbite unless you're against it. Um, And, you know, President Biden went on there for, you know, 30 seconds to try to explain what's really going on. And like a lot of issues in society, it's complicated. Um, I think his first point about children, unaccompanied children, uh, they simply have made a policy decision that they're not going to send unaccompanied children back to Mexico. It's, it's simply not humane, it's not safe, uh, and it's not wise. Now, the problem with making that policy change uh, before putting into place the capacity to deal with it is what you see today. Um, you have to understand that the Trump administration's policy when they began returning people is that they then dismantled the underlying structures that took care of unaccompanied children at HHS. Contracts with facilities ended that would normally house children. Uh, The ability of HHS to care for them was simply erased from the HHS's mission. So they're literally having to recreate that on the fly. So there's, there's a great fault with the Biden administration for not really understanding what, what was going to be involved in this. I think they clearly knew that, that more people would come, more, particularly more unaccompanied children would come. This is also March. March is when you always, every year, ask the Trump administration when you see this rise in children coming uh, from mostly Central America. These are not Mexican children. For the most part, these are Central American children that are coming. The, the other point, though, is about the sheer number of people that the Border Patrol is encountering. It's, it, it will, it's on a pace to be over a million for the first time in, in over almost 20 years. Um, but as, as uh, the president made clear, and as Secretary Mayorkas made clear in his statement yesterday, we are deporting the adults and families. So if you're a mom and dad with a kid, they're deporting you. They're sending you right back out. It's not that they're detaining people. And I can tell you from uh, ICE's own view of uh, ICE detention facilities, they're getting fewer people detained. So people are being quickly turned around and sent back to Mexico. Uh, this is something I think you'll look back in a couple months and go, man, that was a crazy march. Um, but that you will see it 
ebb um, uh, now going forward as they begin to get capacity in line. Uh, but the other thing to remember, Bill, is this. These are children. Um, if you just say, okay, come in the country, off you go, we're not going to detain you. This goes to the people that are complaining that the Biden administration is holding them in bad facilities or longer than necessary. The reality is you have to care for these children. So they are have to do rapid background checks, make sure locations are safe where they're going, the methods of getting there are safe. And again, the capacity to do that simply wasn't in place. And I, I think in a in a month or so, a lot of these issues will, will resolve themselves. Sam, in the meantime, though, uh, the Trump administration took uh, an extraordinary amount of criticism for its policies on the border, um, which may or may not have been justified, depending on your uh, point of view. But it, at this moment, it's probably worth remembering that Joe Biden served as the vice president for a president who became known as the deporter in chief because President Obama uh, set new records at that point in sending people uh, back across the border. What that says to me is that we got to be careful before we decide that this is an issue of Democrats versus Republicans. So I think we should acknowledge that this has been a crisis uh, for a couple decades at least with both Republican and Democrat presidents at the helm. I think we also need to realize that as long as the governments of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador provide little hope for their residents, many Central Americans are going to want to flee to America, to that shining city on the hill. So this isn't simply a problem at the border. This is a problem with uh, incompetent or immoral governments in South America that are frankly pushing their people out. Mariella? But I wanna, I wanna challenge a little bit what uh, Mr. Olin is saying, because it, it, it's true, uh, there is incompetence and corruption in Latin America, and that's why uh, people are fleeing. But it's not that the people are pushed by those governments, it's the humanitarian crisis that are occurring in those countries and it's also a result of bad policy, U.S. policy towards Latin America. I believe that uh, President Jimmy Carter was the last one who really had a clear vision on how to engage with our neighbors to the south. And that was a good proposal. But after Bill Clinton uh, and, of course, 9-11, everything changed. And Latin America was not attended by uh, by the U.S. and not engaged, and then you have Cuba involvement in Venezuela, and then you have, after that, four million Venezuelans leaving the country, being around the world, creating a humanitarian crisis in Latin America, and then uh, now the Biden administration had to respond with a TPS, and that is the larger conversation. And in Central America has been in a complete mess for such a long time, I think it is time for the U.S. to understand that creating a policy to Latin America to combat those incompetent, you know, governments is going to be to the benefit of this country in the long term. Um, okay, Greg Bluestein, I understand you are back with us. Um, let's do this. I want to take a break. And then I'd like to continue this part of our conversation uh, about 
um, what we're seeing, how, how, how could the crisis we're experiencing right now affect the immigration reform package, the rather sweeping package that President Biden has proposed, and what are the implications of that package? But, Greg, before we turn to that and go to the break, um, we lost you right as I was asking about uh, Governor Kemp. Am I right? Did the governor's did the governor's people say something about this early this morning? He he did. It was last night. He said he was praying for the victims of the horrific attacks and appreciated law enforcement who quickly apprehended the suspect. Um, I'm sure he'll say more later today. He's got stops in both Augusta and Savannah, and I'll be with him in Savannah. Uh, the point being, he has not uh, said anything yet about the need to investigate whether this is anti-Asian. Uh, uh, motivated. So uh, thank you for uh, clarifying that for us. All right, let's get to our first break of the show. We'll be back with more in a moment. Greg Bluestein, Sam Olins, Chuck Cook, Mariella Romero join us on Political Rewind uh, today. Greg, uh, uh, President Biden has an immigration reform p- plan which uh, would establish a path to citizenship. Uh, for, uh, I think it's an eight-year path for citizenship. It's a pretty sweeping and bold proposal, given what's happened to past efforts at big immigration bills. Uh, But the first step of it would be to uh, give DACA uh, residents, would shelter and protect the DACA uh, recipients who have been in such jeopardy during the Trump administration and, and acknowledge that they should be the first in line, I think, to move forward towards citizenship. Yeah, and look, there's, as the other panelists have said, there's no easy answers. This defies any sort of quick solutions. And, you know, he's going to be facing um, even more pressure because the, the administration just yesterday uh, warned that it's expecting to make more apprehensions along the, the southwestern border this year than any time in the past two decades. So, so there's going to be more and more pressure on the administration and more and more focus on how the U.S. is handling those, those detainees. Sam, from a political point of view, this is one of the hottest of hot-button issues. We know that when uh, George W. Bush, the Republican president, tried to pass immigration reform, he was shot down badly. Uh, we know that uh, President Obama faced incredible challenges. He couldn't get anywhere. And, and closer to home, Sam, I think those of us who have been part of politics or covered politics for a long time remember what happened when Saxby Chambliss, as a U.S. senator, supported a massive immigration reform bill. We've mentioned it on the show before, Sam. He was booed off the stage at a state Republican convention because of that policy. There is no way you can take politics out of immigration reform, Sam. No, of course not. But but I, I think those individuals think that think you can handle it piecemeal and that that's easier and that that is an easier process are also involved in a folly. Um, it would literally require a lot of mature individuals, something I don't really see uh, in D.C. Um, you know, I wonder whether we almost need some type of uh, BRAC process to put forward a proposal for uh, the legislature, for Congress to approve um, because I, I, clearly I'm, I'm in support of uh, the dreamers. I'm in support of uh, needed immigration change, but I feel there's little uh, chance that meaningful change will occur. 
I think also I agree that is uh, going to be a, a great challenge to pass something, uh, especially when we are seeing these types of news and the crisis at the border, et cetera. Uh, but I, I want to remind people, and I think this would be a great uh, idea for a PSA if, if I was working with an advocacy group. Uh, but during the pandemic, we were fed by immigrant hands and the jobs that were able to to keep us uh, alive were made were done by people who are here undocumented many many of those jobs so i believe that uh we we also have to remember that and it is it is very difficult it is very very complicated to please everyone but we have to think of the lives the people who are in this country uh, illegally, and who also paid a price, a tremendous price during the pandemic to keep this country running. So I think that is something that a lot of people are overlooking uh, and not discussing enough. Chuck? Yeah, you know, having done this for 30 years uh, and watched 30 years of efforts in Congress to fix the immigration laws gives me a little bit of perspective on this. Um, Back in 2013, when President Obama was trying to push through a comprehensive reform, um, a lot of people would say, well, you can't do it all at one time. You've got to do it piecemeal. And then they say before that, no, you can't do it piecemeal. You've got to do it at one time. The problem is both parties benefit by doing nothing. They can then both use the issue, both parties, uh, to gin up the base, uh, however they want to call it. Uh, and we've seen, I've seen it happen now for 30 years, and I think if you, you're a good historian, you can go back and see it for the last 200 years. The reality is there are some issues that are easy. Dreamers is easy. Uh, this week, there will be a vote in the House of Representatives on the Dream and Promise Act, which is to give uh, resident status, legal resident status, to uh, DACA recipients with the date <clears throat> moving forward. Because remember, the DACA that was created by President Obama requires you to have been here 13 years ago, and a lot more kids came in uh, since then. Uh, and it also gives people who have been here for more than 20 years on TPS temporary protected status. Uh, it's a very interesting use of the word temporary. It gives them basically recognizing that you've been here half your life. We're going to give you a green card. It does nothing else beyond that. That bill will pass the House of Representatives. The question is, is there 10 votes in the Senate? Uh, in the Republican uh, caucus, the answer is maybe. Maybe there's 10 for that. But President Biden's bill, which is a comprehensive bill, uh, is something that will not get a vote in the House. The House, the Democrats will not vote on this bill because the Democrats don't even agree on that bill. So, you know, the chance of us seeing immigration reform in the next two years certainly are zero. Uh, but we may see this little bit of piecemeal legislation, which would take a very contentious and very troublesome issue off the table and allow us to look more comprehensively at the rest of our system. Because at the end of the day, our immigration system needs to reflect not only who our values as a country, but the benefits that immigrants are to America. We should have a system that says, yes, we need essential workers. Yes, we need the best and the brightest. That should be our system. It's just not our system now. Greg, um, we know that there is 
as I said to Sam Olins a few minutes ago, this is such a hot button issue. And there's no question at all that as the crisis unfolds at the border, Republicans are using it to their advantage, criticizing Biden, claiming his lenient policies on uh, immigrants are, are what's creating this problem and that he doesn't have a larger plan. Kevin McCarthy the other day, the minority leader, on a visit to the border, actually said that he'd been told by uh, border agents that there were terrorists who were starting to cross into the country, taking advantage of the uh, loose border, as he described it, to get into the country, uh, Greg. So (laughs) Chuck Cook says not true, but Greg Bluestein, no question Republicans are going to use this. Oh, 100%. And look, exactly what Chuck said. There's no evidence of that whatsoever. Um, but Republicans are going to use this even as the president pleads for patience um, and blames his predecessor for dismantling uh, the immigration system. And you're seeing it play out in Georgia, too. Just a, just a week ago, you had uh, a legislation by Republican State Representative Casey Carpenter that would made it easier for DACA recipients, for DREAMers, to get in-state tuition um, that seemed to have at least a consensus of support, not overwhelming support among Republicans, but enough to get it over the finish line. And it, it failed in crossover day to, to reach a vote. Um, another sort of example of Republican supporters said this is an example of how Republican push for big tent philosophy um, does not end up translating into actual action. Um, okay, so Chuck Cook, there has been pushback on the Kevin McCarthy statements, but but Sam Olin's Newsweek just published a piece online a few minutes ago, which says, I'm going to read what they report. Military commanders have refused to weigh in on whether the current situation at the U.S. southern border constitutes a crisis, instead focusing on the dire domestic conditions in Central American nations that are driving migration waves northward. But here's the key. The commanders of the U.S. Northern Command and Southern Command told reporters at a joint briefing on Tuesday that the military is continuing to support President Joe Biden's efforts to bring a surge under control, but raised concerns about terrorist and gang organizations using the chaos to infiltrate the country. Democrats had pushed back on McCarthy by saying, if there are possible terrorists coming across the border, how come those of us who are on the Intelligence Committee haven't been told that themselves? But now you have military leaders expressing their concerns publicly. Look, there have always been groups of individuals on our watch list caught trying to cross the border. That, once again, is nothing new. And this morning when I was actually listening to WSB radio, uh, there was a a story on it right then. But we continue to receive uh, individuals from um, countries that are not friends to us that, you know, frankly, get their way to Mexico and cross the border. It's it's nothing new. Um, I I find it almost um, amusing that... um, a congressman on on uh, intelligence would find that newsworthy. Uh, we, I mean, you know, candidly, let's face it. If there's one recurring theme, and 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 Chuck did a really good job with it earlier, it's that uh, Congress is not able to legislate, and that there aren't enough mature people in the room. And for a lot of us, we're really disgusted by that. Uh- Chuck, I would assume that this statement from yesterday is a cautionary note. Not, it isn't a statement that suggests we are catching 
terrorists crossing the border. It seems to me it's the military saying exactly what it ought to be saying. We're on the alert because we would uh, try to stop any terrorists who might try to get into the country. That is not necessarily supportive of Kevin McCarthy's very, very uh, 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 big and scary statement. Well, McCarthy lied. I mean, let's be clear about that. There's literally no evidence that what he's talking about has occurred in the last 20 years. Uh, But I like my military saying we need to be vigilant of this. And keep in mind that the Mexican side of the U.S. border is controlled by the narco-traffickers, which are gang, international gangs of criminals. They control that, that, and they're they're cognizant of that. Uh, I want them to be cognizant of that. And that's, again, why we shouldn't be deporting people back into their hands. Uh, because what's happening is our kidnappings, murders, uh, rapes, horrible violations of, of, all, of people of every age and sex going on down there. Um, and by having, a, again, an immigration policy, because we don't have immigration laws, uh, means that you, we, we are literally not solving a problem. We, we are continually dealing with the problem. And it doesn't, isn't it getting old? For me, it's getting old. Um, and I just love Sam's statement. There just aren't adults that are willing to deal with this in Washington, D.C. It's not a party issue. It's just not. Um, so, Mariella, uh, oh, go ahead. Finish, Chuck, please. I'm sorry, Bill. So uh, Axiom reported. Oh, Sam, go ahead. I'm sorry. So I apologize, Mariella. Axios reported that the Customs and Border Protection Agency to confirmed to Congress that four people were arrested at the southern border, uh, October 1, matching names of FBI terrorist screening database. They came from Yemen, Bangladesh, um, Serbia. So, I mean, the, the, the issue is that whether it occurs in March, February, January, or last July, it's a recurring threat. Okay. Um, I, I, Mariella, thank you for that, Sam. Um, Mariella, how concerned are you that with all this attention focused in, in such a partisan way on what's happening right now at the southern border, that it's going to make it harder? Chuck Cook thinks that it, you might be able to come up with enough votes in the Senate to uh, uh, overcome the filibuster. But doesn't this crisis make it harder and harder to uh, get the support that the Biden administration needs to pass the, the this bill? Unfortunately, yes, it, it makes it harder because, like it was mentioned before, uh, this is an opportunity for, for example, Republicans to rile their, their base and, and talk about immigration and create an issue of this. And, and this also presents a challenge for Democrats because then you have more conservative uh, Democrats being scared of this issue and that, you know, uh, people are going to think that they are soft on border security uh, and they don't want that perception. And then you have the liberal wing of the Democratic Party who is not satisfied. And, and what I think is also a big problem is that this will turn off the electorate, the Latino electorate that is counting on some immigration reform being passed, because this has been a carrot that has been dangled to our constituents for a long time, or especially from the Democratic Party. Obama promised things that he could not, he did not deliver, 
And now if we have uh, President Biden, this administration doing the same thing, uh, people are going to be the solution. They're going to think that their vote is not, it, it, it didn't matter. And how, how, how many times are you going to dangle that same issue over and over again? It's, it's like Chuck was saying, uh, it, you know, it's getting old. All right, Mariela Romero, you get the last word in this segment of Political Rewind. We've got more to talk about. We're going to turn to the legislature after these messages. Mariella Romero, Sam Olins, Chuck Cook joining me today, as is Greg Bluestein from the AJC. Greg, I think one thing that you and I can absolutely agree on is that the 2020 election and then the 2021 runoff showed us there's just not enough money in politics today. <laughs> and there's got to be a way to come up with you know, giving people a chance to raise more money, which is why we've got to applaud the legislators down at the Capitol who are pushing for a bill that would allow, would create leadership committees. Right now, as we all know, it's forbidden for legislators themselves to raise money during uh, a session. Uh, but now the leadership uh, bill would allow essentially lobbyists to put money into a fund that could indirectly then be used for campaigns down the road. And thank goodness there could be millions of dollars more in the process. What's going Bill, on, Greg? This is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, Bill, only, uh, the, the Senate runoffs only cost a billion dollars. <laughs> so overall, um, yeah, but you're exactly right. This, this would um, allow um, you know, groups like the House Republican Trust and the Senate Republican Leadership Funds to raise even more cash to support indirectly to support Republican candidates. Um, it allows also party leaders to kind of flex their muscles and and get discipline on votes. So you you could see in fewer mavericks out there who buck party lines um, to, uh, to 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 vote across party um, priorities. Um, so it's going to be it, uh, critics are already saying this would provide more incentive for lobbyists and special interests to don donate unlimited amounts during the session, not just to legislative leaders but also to governors and other statewide officials who would be able to use the money to directly coordinate with their political campaign. So um, a very um, distressing new category of funds to, to watchdog advocates who want less money but not more money in state politics. Sam, I'm sorry, Greg. Sam, the supporters of this bill say, no, we misunderstand. What this is really about transparent is about transparency because now uh, the lobbyists and organizations that put money into this leadership fund will have to reveal who they are, whereas right now dark money can be spent uh, indirectly for campaigns. What's your What are your thoughts, Sam? Well, but there's federal laws that permit dark money, so <laughs> at the end of the day, it's still going to exist. Uh, Chuck, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I agree with uh, Sam. Go ahead. I mean, Sam. This is crazy. <laughs> Sam, I, I think I interrupted you. Finish what you were going to say. No, it's, I mean. Look, I, I, I support transparency, but I think transparency needs to be throughout the system, both state and federal. Um, okay, Chuck, go ahead and make your point now. Well, I agree with Sam. I mean, the, the reality is that uh, if you could still give dark money, now you want to give people money during the legislative session. Yeah, I'm sure that won't look bad. 
Uh, it, it, it's a ridiculous <laughs> proposal. I guess since you know they didn't vote themselves a raise, this is another way to bring money into the coffers. I I just don't get it. I just don't think why well, think folks that are elected think this is a good idea, um, uh, at least from a public point of view. Well, I think that this is another way, uh, another form of corruption in a way, because, uh, you know, if you are able to to give money, you know, to politicians who are deliberating the laws that you want to pass, uh, how is the, the, the average voter feels when you have more chances of passing legislation that is unpopular, but is backed by lobbyists? But immigration reform, which most of the American people want to pass, is not, it doesn't have a chance. So this also goes to my earlier point that people are going to feel like voting doesn't matter, that, you know, only special interests and people with money are the ones who get what they want. Um, Greg, before we leave this topic, I do think we should point out that while it appears that right now Republicans are, have the structures in place, should they pass this bill, to better take advantage of uh, this new, what would become a new law. But there's nothing in the world that says that Democrats won't eagerly jump in as well. Raising money is, again, not a partisan issue. Yeah, and in a not-so-distant future, you could see Republicans railing against the same regime of, of financing structures that they created or that they're one vote away from creating um, right now under the gold dome. All right. Um, I, let me turn to another subject. Um, we know that President Biden and uh, Vice President Harris are going to be in Georgia on Friday. And the purpose of their visit is they're, they're doing a tour to promote their COVID relief package um, to talk about all of the benefits of that package. But the first thing I'd like to ask about that, Greg, is these shootings really will put an entirely different uh, light on uh, their visit, won't it? They're going to have to spend as much time talking. We'll see what we learn in the days ahead, but this could potentially change their their whole uh, visit. Yeah, it cast a pall over the visit for sure, and they're expected to go to Gwinnett County, although official details have not yet been released by the White House. They're expected to go to Gwinnett County, which, of course, is a center of the Asian-American community in Georgia. Um, so it really brings a whole new resonance to their, to their visit. Chuck? It's, um, it's, I think it will end up being more of a, 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 much more than a symbolic visit. I would not be surprised if, uh, given the empathy that President Biden has typically shown in situations uh, where harm has caused others, that he meets with the families of these victims. Uh, and maybe by Friday they will have information about uh, you know, what was the true motivating factor behind this. All right. So we'll watch and see how that unfolds. But in the meantime, Sam Olins, uh, the president is going to be here to promote his COVID relief bill. It has been supported by upwards of 70 percent of voters, more Republic, more Democrats than Republicans. But nevertheless, Republicans have supported it as well. Uh, and yet we've had Republican leaders in Georgia, including the governor, who've expressed a good deal of criticism about this measure. Um it, how potent will this become as a political issue in 2022? And by that, I'm just meaning um, this big infusion of federal money showing a new reliance on the federal government as a, as a problem solver. 
uh, whereas so for so long Republicans have suggested that that as Ronald Reagan said, uh, government is the problem, not the solution to the problem. Sam. So I continue to believe that government is seldom the solution to the problem. I also continue to believe that uh, uh, both members of the Republican and Democratic Party need to understand that we're giving our children and grandchildren debt they can't afford. Uh, you know, when I look at my uh, two kids, uh, it's unbelievable the extent of uh, debt we're giving them, uh, not just this year, but most years. Frankly, I thought $75,000 was a ridiculous cap to receive the $1,400. Do, do I have a problem with, uh, with folks that really need the money getting it? No. 75000 is not poverty for a family of four. I thought that was, that was absurd. Um, I happen to like uh, the part about the child tax credit. I think that has a lot of, of value. Um, but, you know, how are you passing a bill in the name of COVID where the monies don't go out for two or three more years? I mean, that's not honesty. Uh, so I think the Republicans are frankly going to have plenty to campaign against. But I think more importantly, it has uh, sharpened the division between Republican and Democrats on the Senate side, which makes uh, passage of anything with a filibuster highly unlikely. So we're not going to have enough time to talk about this as long as we should. But Mariella, uh, Sam Olin says he likes the child tax credits. What's interesting about that is that's probably the biggest example of federalism uh, solving a major problem. The, 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 the uh, projections are that the child tax credit could reduce child poverty, po- family poverty, by much as, fi- as much as 50 percent over a period of the next year or so. Correct. And, and I agree the Republicans are going to have a lot to say about this in 2022. But I think the Democrats as well, if people like the child credit and then uh, they have been benefiting from this uh, COVID relief. You know, I've seen some reports from uh, counties where in you know, West Virginia and other parts of the country where, uh, you know, the Republicans uh, got a majority of votes. And people are desperate for the need uh, for, for this help. So the Democrats also have a story to tell. Uh, this is a conversation I would love to continue. Chuck Cook, Greg Bluestein, I'm sorry we didn't get to hear from you on this part of the conversation. But you'll be back on the show again. We can talk about it more. Thank you both for being with us. Mariello Romero, uh, Sam Olins, thank you for being with us. We're completely out of time for today's show, but we'll be back again, of course, tomorrow. I hope you'll join us then. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Take care, stay healthy, figure out a way to get a shot, and while you're doing it, please wear your masks. See you all tomorrow.